Turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 9. These next couple of chapters are, are really kind of fun because they're, they're extremely practical. You know, sometimes we get into passages of Scripture that eh, may be allegorical, theoretical in, in some ways. They, they seem to present to us some spiritual concepts that we can apply. Uh, but this one is just one of those things that just, it just jumps out at you. And so tonight, uh, knowing the enemy, and, and in case you hadn't figured it out, in case you know, you're new in your faith in the Lord, um, you're in a battle, folks. Uh, the, we, there's a war going on, and you're on one side, and the enemy's on another. And we have real enemies. And they're not people. Uh, scripture is very clear that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. The rulers of the darkness of this age, we're, we're fighting a spiritual host, your Bible says, of wickedness, that there, there is literally an enemy who's seeking to destroy you. And that was true in Joshua's time as well. And so as we now continue here in chapter 9, the first 15 verses, uh, we find that it's a really good idea to know your enemy. And, and to put this into perspective, a lot of people are looking at what's going on in the Middle East right now, and they're having a little tough time. I, I'm having a little tough time seeing kids that are horribly wounded and maimed and all those kind of things. But you have to understand the enemy. And in this case, the enemy finds it perfectly acceptable to put rocket launchers inside of mosques, to put rocket launchers inside of schools, to put rocket launchers inside of marketplaces, to store bombs inside of hospitals, uh, to do things that are despicable. And so in order for the enemy to, to be able to be fought effectively, uh, the Israeli Shin Bet, which is the equivalent of our CIA, uh, is very stealthy and very crafty, and they know their enemy, and they know where those weapons are. And in knowing where those weapons are, they're striking things that would not normally be military targets, but if you watch the gun camera footage from the IDF, you, you see a rocket go through a window of a mosque, and about two seconds later, you see massive secondary explosions when they only put a 250-pound warhead through that window. 250-pound warhead would not level this building. But then all of a sudden, the mosque blows 1,500 feet up in the air. Why? Because the mosque was filled with rockets and bombs and about every kind of small munition that you can possibly imagine. The reason I'm telling you that, in a spiritual sense, you need to know what your enemy's up to. He does not play fair. He constantly uses tactics that makes you seem like, well, maybe he's not really fighting me. Maybe that's really a school. Maybe that's really a hospital. Maybe that's someplace I ought to go hang out on the weekend. Maybe that group of people really doesn't mean me any harm. It's true in a spiritual sense. And so tonight, as we begin chapter 9 here in the book of Joshua, we're going to see these principles played out. Uh, in a very, very clear and concise way. And so let's pray, ask the Lord to speak to us. Father, we thank you for your word, which is timeless. Lord, it's a treasure to us. It's, it's powerful, Lord. It helps us understand uh, the world that we're in. We realize that human nature has changed very little in the last several thousand years, that what is true today was true then. We have new ways to express it. Uh, but the enemy is still the enemy, and he still does not play fair. And so, God, we pray that you'd help us to glean the lessons that you want us to learn tonight from your word. Lord, help us to, to take them in and obey them. Lord, help us to walk in them. 
Bless us as we study, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 here in chapter 9. And it came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan in the hills and in the lowland and in the coast of the great sea towards Lebanon. So this is encompassing what is all of modern day Israel. So what they're talking about is on the western side of the Jordan River. From the western side of the Jordan River, the Judean foothills, which are directly, they're part of the African Rift Valley that extends all the way from the center of Africa all the way to Israel. That set of rolling hills that leads up to where Jerusalem is all the way to the Mediterranean coast. So a distance of some 75, 80 miles. But this was the inhabited land. This is where the Canaanites and all these people had settled, and this was the land that God gave to Israel. And so all the kings are watching what's going on. So remember now, we've had the battle at Jericho. We've had the first defeat at Ai, and then the victory at Ai. And Moses had told the children of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy, look, I've given you this land. This land is my land. I'm giving it to you as an everlasting inheritance and when the cities in the land are, are not far away and they're in the land that you're going to inhabit, you need to destroy them. And time after time, you see Joshua and the children of Israel repeat the same exact mistake with the same exact result. And so the lesson is, we have to remember that the enemy is up to no good. He's always up to no good. He was up to no good for them, and he's up to no good for you. He means you harm. And just because he dresses up a little nicer, just because he uses kinder words, just because, you know, we dress things up with words like tolerance or words like, uh, you know, I, I, I believe that we should be more... Uh, kind and gentle, the enemy is still a roaring lion. He still seeks whom he may destroy. He is a thief. He is a liar. That's who he is. And anybody that stands with him, ultimately, those colors will come out in them as well. And so he goes on to say, the Hittite, the Amorite, these were the more northern tribes. The Amorites were in modern-day Jordan today, mostly, but settlements on both sides of the Jordan, the Canaanites. The Canaanites, very powerful people, uh, so much so that uh, if you travel to the land of Israel today and you, you go throughout the land, you'll see referred to the Canaanite period. Uh, that is the, the period that we're in right now in the Bible, the, the period of conquest. And there were peoples there known as the Canaanites. Their main fortress was at Dan, the headwaters of the Jordan River. And they had settlements all along the Jordan, all the way nearly to the Dead Sea. So almost the full length of modern-day Israel. The Canaanites, the, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites all heard about it. And they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel in one accord. And so... Notice what's happening here. First, the people come across the Jordan River, and they are miraculously guided across it. The Lord actually stays the Jordan River itself. 
They walk across on somewhat moist but nonetheless non-flowing ground that is not covered by the River Jordan. They actually walk across. The Ark of the Covenant comes across. They build a pile of stones, a monument on the other side. They enter in, and God immediately gives them a victory at Jericho. The surrounding peoples know all of this. Word traveled quickly. You're talking about a very small geographic area that was highly inhabited at the time. Uh, the archaeological ruins in that area of the world are everywhere. I mean, it's staggering how many things are, you know, that looks like a pile of rocks. Well, it's actually an old city. Uh, that's, that's that whole region of the world. And so here they are. They, they're now looking at all this going, hmm, maybe if we band together. That's exactly the enemy's tactic against you. That's exactly why stuff like this is important. Because the enemy is now having to mount a a much more detailed attack on the body of Christ. It's a detailed attack that says, well, you know, Christians aren't very tolerant. Christians actually believe that God created the universe, that it actually didn't happen with the Big Bang. Well, if you want to believe that God did the Big Bang, I'm with you. God said it was, and it was. That's a big bang. That's what you want to call it. I don't care. But we're also being attacked on virtually every front, the political front. Ah, they're too conservative. They want to take away our rights. No, we just believe what God said, and he said we shouldn't be doing things like fornicating, that we shouldn't be a bunch of drunks, a bunch of party animals. God said that. That's not something we made up. That's not the the Christians getting, you know, well, they got together and are trying to steal our joy. That isn't what happened. God simply said, this is the way I want you. You're my people. I'm holy. I want you to be like me. Be holy. So the attack is across the board. The kings are gathering together. The system, we talk about the world system being against the body of Christ. It is because its boss is not God. The world system's boss is Satan. The monetary system, the political system, the power structure, the banking system, the military systems, all of the systems of the world are, are God could do anything he wants to, but he has relinquished for a period of time that we call the age of grace, the, this length of rope that allows the enemy to govern these things. And you can see it everywhere. You have to know your enemy. If you think the enemy is benign to the body of Christ, uh, you're unimaginably dumb. Just got to be blunt. You are unimaginably dumb if you think the world doesn't hate your guts. You don't even have to look that hard anymore. You come, in, in the age that I was born and raised in, you looked at Ozzy and Harriet and leave it to Beaver and, you know, Father Knows Best. And, you know, the real risque show was the Jackie Gleason show because they slept in the bedroom and you knew that, you know, that kind of thing. Well, they're married. But now it's pretty obvious that the world is trying to change who you are as a Christian. Wants to dictate what Christ should be. He already told us who he is. He already told us about himself. 
And so we know what he wants from us. There's very little that we don't understand in a general sense about the character of Christ. Now, we haven't attained unto it. One day when we step into the glories of heaven, we're going to be like he is perfect. But right now, the body of Christ is kind of, shall we say, a less than ideal? Kind of going the wrong way? That's because they don't understand that the enemy's out to kill and to maim and to destroy. Sometimes people are oblivious, and many Christians think, you know, the enemy doesn't lie to me. There's no real Satan. He doesn't mean me any personal harm. We think those kind of things. I've had well-meaning, well-intentioned Christians tell me that they don't even believe in Satan. They think Satan is an analogy or an allegory, or, or he's some type of mythical figure that that mankind has made. I've had Christians, people who tell me that Jesus Christ is their personal Savior, look me in the eye and say, I don't believe in Satan and I don't believe in hell. That means the enemy's winning. Satan is a real enemy. And he comes in many, many ways. And while Israel was at Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, remember, they went to the Mount of Blessings, the Mount of Cursings. They're there receiving the full law from Joshua. He's reading. The people in the valley are saying, Amen. We need to do this and we need to not do that. Well, the whole time they're doing that, you've got to know the kings in the land of Canaan were up to no good. At that time, they're plotting. They're reaffirming their commitment to to each other. While the people are reaffirming their commitment, while the people, so to speak, were at church, the people in the world were figuring out a way to take down the people who were at church. They'd heard about the defeat at Jericho and Ai, and they weren't going to give up without a fight. The world is not going to give up without a fight. And so we need to to remember who Satan is. Your Bible says he comes as a devouring lion. Now, I don't know how many of you have had the experience of getting very close to a lion. I haven't been tremendously close to a lion, but at the wild animal park, you can get reasonably close to a lion. And once you get within about 20, 30 feet of one of those, I can't even imagine me against him. Can't even imagine. Five, six hundred pound male lion paws about the size of my head, teeth three to four inches long, claws five to six inches long, uh, easily could just rip me from limb to limb. There is a very great superiority in raw power that the enemy has. We need to not forget that. He's a devouring lion. He can tear you to shreds. And he tries to do that. He's also a deceiving serpent. They're in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And if you remember the story of the Garden of Eden, Satan wasn't, you know, he didn't concoct some massive plan, some amazing scheme. He didn't have, you know, like agents dressed up like angels trying to, you know, fake. And he just simply told lies. Amen. Just like, oh, you know, God's just trying to keep something from you. I mean, sheesh, I mean, look at it. Who wouldn't want to eat that fruit? You can almost imagine, you know, that conversation. He's a deceiving serpent. 
we we got to battle the enemy the way he fights us. And that's with spiritual armor. He, he, he wants to destroy. He wants to deceive. And so when you think about the enemy, you need to remember who he is. Uh, from the people in the land of Canaan, they're, they're saying, look, let's, let's get together and we'll go against these guys. The world's going to try and get together and go against you. Don't forget that. It's not your friend. Family of God, the world is not your friend. It's your enemy. Doesn't mean that every, you know, you need a oh, demon, demon, who's got the demon? Demon under every rock. I don't want you wandering around going, oh, it's lost, you know, and throwing your hands up in the air, doing the chicken little thing. The sky is falling. But it isn't your friend either. Means to hurt you, means to harm you, means to destroy you. So let's look at some of the things that are found here. We can learn some lessons from, from this little foray into the land of Canaan. Verse 3, But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that Joshua, what he had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily. Underline that word. It means with lying deception. That's what craftily means. It means to take what you do know and add a handful of things to it and to come up with a plan that is lying and deceiving and has the elements of we're not going to tell them what we're actually doing, what we're actually up to. We're going to make them believe something that isn't true. They worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. Underline the word ambassadors. The world comes against you looking like it's someone bearing good gifts. Bearing a peace treaty, bearing all kinds of things, saying, hey, we're just the same, can't we all just get along? Can't we just coexist? And again, remember what I've always said. Coexist in the sense that we need to be loving and kind and gentle to all people so we can draw them to Christ is one thing. To abandon the truth to do it is another. There's one gospel there is one Lord, there is only one way of salvation, and all roads do not lead to heaven. So in that sense, there is no coexistence. You're either in Christ or you're out. You're either a saint or you're an ain't. You're a sheep, you're a goat. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. There's no middle ground. So in that sense, all religions aren't the same. The world says, look, we're ambassadors. I mean, after all, we worship the same God. There is a huge move in evangelicalism right now. And you can see it in some of the seminaries here in Southern California. Fuller, Talbot, once very conservative, Bible-teaching, Christ-honoring, Bible-believing seminaries now have studies of interdenominational uh, studies in history. You know that, well, you know, probably Allah is the same as Jehovah, and Jehovah is the same as Allah, and Buddha is the same as Jehovah, and, you know, we're just all figuring out different ways to express the same thing. That is demonic. That is somebody coming as an ambassador. Well, we can just, you know, let's just make sure we're all having peace for peace sake. And again, I'm not talking about warring with people who love to, you know, where they're at. We're talking about the difference between being saved and damned. 
between knowing who Jesus Christ is and committing your life to him, which brings salvation, by the way, to believe on his name is to be saved. Amen? If you don't believe on his name, I'm sorry, but my Bible says you're not saved. That's not me. That's not me wanting to kick everybody out. That's not Calvary Chapel being anti-other religions. That's Jesus Christ himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. I didn't make that up. Jesus said it. But people come as ambassadors. These guys came as ambassadors. They walked into the camp. We mean you no harm. We've just come because we're just like you. We can learn some lessons from these guys. Notice what they did. And they took out old sacks on their donkeys and old wineskins, torn and mended, and old and patched sandals from their feet, and old garments on themselves, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. Oh, we mean you no harm. We've come on a long journey. And so the Gibeonites, just like Satan, their boss... We're deceivers. That's not true. You know how we know it's not true? The distance from where the Israelites were camped to Gibeon was 25 miles. That's it. Good, long day's walk. There was no reason for their sandals to be worn out. There was no reason for their bread to be moldy. They could have baked it that afternoon and been there the next day. They were lying. They were deceiving, and they were trying to deceive the Israelites. They come offering peace. We've come on this long journey. You see, what they were trying to do was to paint the picture that they were on a peace mission, when in fact, just as your Bible says, Satan being the father of all lies, they were lying, and they were deceiving. So the Gibeonites assembled this group of men, equipped them to look like an official delegation from a far-off foreign city. We just happen to be in the land. I mean, we're not really against you. I mean, we just kind of were here and going through the territory. You can see that in your own life in the world, amen? Well, we don't really hate Christians. We don't really think, you know, we don't think evil of Christians. We just kind of hate Christians and think evil of Christians. Sort of, kind of, some of the time. Deceivers. Jesus is the way and the... So if there's lies involved, there's deception involved, you can be pretty sure it's not from God. In fact, your Bible says that Satan himself has false apostles and deceitful workmen there in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And in fact, their whole intent is to lead godly people astray. Well, you know, we go to this church to where uh, we actually have a beer party every Friday night. Sunday afternoons after church, we get together and we go throw back a few and watch football. That's a deceiver. That's a deceiver. That's somebody trying to convince you that being drunk is okay. 
that, you know, being that party person, you know, you can kind of do that and love Jesus too. And again, not trying to pick on anybody, just simply trying to say, that's how the world works. And then you get involved in that, and then pretty soon, well, you know, we'll just, we, let's go watch this movie. And oh, yeah, well, you know, my kids want to get to know your kids, and yeah, sure, they're out behind the barn smoking dope, but you know, it's an herb. It's organic. We grew it with no pesticides. And it sounds all, well, you know, I mean, oh, well, who wouldn't, you know, I mean, God gave it to us. You got people claiming to be Christians who are saying, you know, it's okay. We can figure out another way to get our kids stoned. I don't think so. Because the word used for drunken doesn't just apply to alcohol. It applies to all things that alter your state of mind, period. You see, it's easy to identify a lion, amen? But when it comes to serpents, they're a little tougher to identify, aren't they? The lion part, look, uh, it's got blood dripping off its face, and there's a dead kudu right there. That's a 1,200-pound kudu, and that lion's got a hunk of leg hanging out. I'm pretty sure that's a lion that devours, okay? I got that. But then we got the knuckleheads that live around us who just arbitrarily kill every snake in their yard, okay? Can I remind you that about 99% of all snakes in the world are not venomous? The venomous ones are a pretty small percentage, actually. Can't tell you how many poor gopher snakes I've seen with their heads hacked off and their tails hacked off and their middle sections hacked off because somebody said, oh, I don't know, so I'll just... You see, it's tough to identify the deceiver. It's hard to know sometimes what that serpent's up to, what it's doing. So sometimes people just go, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll just pick this one up. That also is a bad idea if you don't know the difference between a rattlesnake and a gopher snake. You, you see, it takes work to know the deceivers. You've got to go pull out your journal of herpetology and go, oh, oh, it's got rattles. Rattlesnake. We need to be looking at these things with a fresh set of eyes. Satan is absolutely a liar. Notice what the Gibeonites said. And so they went to Joshua, to the camp at Gilgal, and said to him and to the men of Israel, We've come from a far country, and now therefore make a covenant with us. And, and let, me, let me just give you a little, a little view that's stepping ahead a bit. You see, God had actually told the Jewish people, the Israelites, through Moses, that if people were from a far country, you could make a covenant with them. This is showing you that the enemy knows his Bible. The enemy knows what the Word of God says. Remember what Satan used against Jesus in the wilderness? He used the Word of God, didn't he? Okay. The enemy knows his Bible. These Gibeonites knew their Bible. They knew what Moses had said. Oh, look, we're from a far country. We're not from near here, because if we were from near here, we'd be in Canaan, and we know that your Bible 
the Old Testament Torah says, if we're from here, you're supposed to kill us. But if we're from a far country, you can make a covenant with us and let us live. So how are they dressed? Like they're from a far country. Like they're okay. We're good guys. And then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you will dwell among us. So how can we make a covenant with you? Let's just make peace with the enemy. And they said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? And so they said to him, From a very far country your servants have come. You see how deep it's getting here? They're just laying it on. And that's what the enemy does. Don't mean you any harm. I mean, we're just like you. All roads lead to heaven, brother, sister. You know, we're, we're Christians too. Now let me personalize it. How much have you heard? Well, yeah, you know, Mormons are actually Christians. Sorry. They got a different Jesus. My Bible said you preach another Christ, you're of you're the, the enemy. You preach another gospel, you're of the enemy. Oh, we're Christians too. Well, we're Christian scientists. See, we're Christian scientists. They're not Christians and they're not scientists either. We're Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, I love Jehovah, and you're a witness of Jehovah, so Jehovah's Witnesses must be really good things. I can't tell you how many baby Christians. Well, you know, I just met these really wonderful people. They're called Jehovah's Witnesses, and they brought me a copy of the Watchtower, and they mean me no harm. Until they tell you that they don't believe in the Trinity and that Jesus wasn't God. If Jesus isn't God, your sins remain. They've not been paid for. Did not satisfy the righteousness of God. There's not a Jehovah's Witness on this earth that believes strict Jehovah's Witness doctrine that's saved. They're lost. But they wear granny dresses. They don't even celebrate Christmas. Because they don't want to worship a false god. Sounds pretty holy, doesn't it? Liars. We're your servants. Where are you from? From a far country we've come, because you're the name of the Lord, your God. Look how the, this is... You ever met the person who speaks Christianese? Praise the Lord, brother! Would you pass me that joint? Hallelujah. Who's making the beer run? Glory to God. Well, I don't know whose wife that was, but it's still happening, isn't it? Because of the name of the Lord your God, we have heard his fame. All that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, the king of Heshbon, to Og, the king of Bashan, who was set at Ashtaroth. And therefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, 
Take provisions with you for the journey, and go and meet them, and say to them, We are your servants, and now therefore make a covenant with us. This bread of ours we took hot for our provision from our houses on the day we departed to come to you from 25 miles away. But now look, it's dry and moldy, and these wineskins which we filled were new. And see how they're torn, and our garments and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. Family of God, that is Christianese 101. That's how we're, you know, we just honor the Lord, and we're so in awe of your God, but we really like to kill you. It's the way the enemy works. Satan is a liar. That's what he does. Actually, his, his name there, as it's, as it's spelled out in John 8, 44, it, it, he is the father of all lies, is what it says. But what it actually says in the Greek language, in the original transcription into English, it would actually be, it would actually be progenitor or originator of. In other words, if anybody tells a lie, it's because Satan invented lying. And they're associating with who he is and what he does and how he acts. So lies are from the pit of hell. People who can't walk in the truth have a problem with God. These guys told five very specific lies. Back in the middle of this last century, Adelaide Stevenson, great political leader here in the U.S., he said, a lie is an abomination unto the Lord, but it's a very present help in a time of trouble. That's the political view. It's like you use this, you know, I wouldn't tell it to God, but, you know, to mankind. If you're lying, you're using a tool the enemy uses that associates you with him. That's why Christians who lie have a really tough time with the Lord. Very often their whole life is built on something that actually isn't true. Five very specific lies are told here. And I want you to look at them. Gibeonites said, first, we're from a far country. They actually lived one day's journey away, 25 miles away. Straight up, in your face, total lie. They lied about their food and their clothing. The spread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day that we left to come. Now see how it's dry and moldy. It would have taken weeks for that to happen. They could have come from the northern areas of what is modern-day Syria, several hundred miles away, and it probably still would have been okay, because you remember, as they baked during that time, they had very little water, and their bread was generally dry to begin with. It didn't even mold. It was a dry climate. It would have lasted a very long time. So they actually had to physically find moldy bread to pull off this deception. They also lied about themselves. They gave the impression that they were important envoys on a peace mission. That wasn't true. They also called themselves the servants, your servants. And then of all of the lies they told, the big one is the whopper, because of the name of the Lord. And I want to remind you, 
to because Jesus himself is truth. We are to be people of truth. The, the audacity of some maybe believers, but likely phony believers to me, sometimes is just staggering. Like the citizens of Jericho, the people of Gibeon had heard of Israel's march of conquest, no doubt. Like, but unlike Rahab, who had repented, they were still trying to win. That's the world. The world's still trying to beat you. And I can tell you that some of Satan's ambassadors are more convincing as liars than Christians are of the truth. Satan knows how to use religious lies. People presenting themselves to be something that they are not. And I want to remind you that God's not fooled. I can tell you in my pastoral ministry, and Connie and I giggle every once in a while about some of the things that we see and hear. I cannot tell you how many people have come to this church and walked in the office and told Connie one thing, and then she's not here, and turn around and tell me something completely different about the same period of time to explain why they need financial help or they need more groceries or they need this for their kids, only to find out they not only don't have any kids, but they're not even married. They, they aren't living with anybody. They're actually part of some group of people that live together. This happens all the time, and they lie for the sole purpose of trying to abuse the goodness of God's people and God's provision. And they never get out of that situation. Religious lies are the worst kind. People that will walk up and say, Oh, yeah, brother, yeah, sister, oh, yeah, praise the Lord, thank you, Jesus. And then they sell you a car that doesn't run. Or they offer to do work for you and they don't show up. Or they give you one price and charge you another. All because, oh, you know, we're just brothers and sisters in the Lord, man. So you have the right to deal somebody down and dirty because you used the name of Jesus. Or you put a fish on your business card. But you don't ever do a thing that you say. Those are religious lies. And God hates them. We need to be careful. We're people of truth. And better to admit to who we are and to receive whatever chastening God wants to send our way than to continue a life of lies. Lying destroys. Always has, always will. We need to be people of truth. Had people walk in here and tell me all their medical stories about how they need this test and need that test, and we have given them financial help, and I go two blocks that way and one block down Hunsacker, and there they are with a 750-ounce beer. I've stopped a couple of times going, is that your doctor? That happened about three weeks ago. That's your doctor? You can talk about the look of shock. And I mean, it was an elaborate story. 
Oh, I've got cancer and I've got to go for this test and I don't have enough for bus fare. But you got enough for a 750-ounce beer. I never even seen, I didn't know they made beers in single servings that were that size. Like, you know, it was like a miniature keg or something. Do not let people fool you with Christian lies. All lies have to be remembered, folks. And I can tell you this, because I've listened to a lot of liars. No liar ever remembers all the details. And eventually, your sins will find you out. So by now, we're going to see in the latter part of this chapter, as we get to it next time, these guys are, yeah, they're not being quite so swift with their story. Why did they succeed? Notice what it says here in these last few verses. And then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but did not ask the counsel of the Lord. This is the third time in the conquest of Canaan they've done the same dumb thing. Let's go with our gut. I'm going to go with my gut. Going with your gut could mean that you have, you know, some kind of gas. It could mean that you you have, you know, some rumblings from, you know, too much carne asada. I don't know. I'm not sure. A couple of extra jalapenos. I don't know. But what I do know is... You got something that you're facing. To not ask God is suicide to the believer. To not seek his face is beyond crazy for us. Now notice this. They took some of their provisions. You see, that's the human side. Well, we'll take some of their provisions so they can't get away. We'll take some of their provisions so they're indebted to us. We'll do something physically, maybe mentally or emotionally, to try and seal the deal. We'll do it in our own intellect. We'll do it in our own flesh. And so Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. These guys just stone lied to them. And without asking God, they made a covenant with these people. Do you think that's going to come back to bite them? You better believe it will. It's a mystery to me why so many Christians refuse to believe what the enemy has said and done. They refuse to look at the history of humankind and what is said about the enemy in your Bible and go, I'm going to believe that. And they wander around. Well, we'll just think it through. Joshua and his cohorts were, were impetuous. They made a flash decision just like that. Sounds good to me. Now, the, the one ingredient that we need to give the Lord back that he has given us is, is time. 
I see so many Christians make dire mistakes because they will not wait on the Lord. Maybe they talk to God, but they don't wait for God to answer. They might throw up what I like to call a life ring prayer. You know, you've seen those on the side of pools. There's a life ring there with a rope on it. And just like here. And then they pull it right back in, hang it back on the fence. They don't wait for God. They don't talk to God. And frankly, I've been guilty of it myself, so I'm not condemning anyone. I've done it. It's like, well, God, I'm busy. I mean, okay, here's the prayer, but I'm going to do this anyway. Because it sounds good. It looks right. I feel it. Makes you a Mormon, by the way. You get a burning in your bosom. It's confirmed by that gas. That kind of churning. I actually asked a Mormon bishop one time to explain that to me, and he actually said that. He said, well, it's like the rumbling. You know when you're hungry? I said, that? That's what you go by. Okay. Who's being dead serious? Family, we walk by faith and not by sight. What we do, we do by the Spirit of God. Through the Word of God. It's not just because it kind of sort of makes sense. That's why you can't talk people into being believers. Because if you can talk them into being a believer, then it's just an intellectual exercise. It's simple knowledge. There must be a work of the Spirit, and there must be faith. There has to be. It's the important difference between biblical Christianity and a real relationship with Jesus Christ and every other world religion. Every other world religion, including all of the cults, have a series of guidelines that are designed to build this box in which this group sits. Christ says, for freedom I have set you free, and that comes by faith through you believing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you're set free to do anything and everything that God would direct you in. It isn't confined. Christians are the most free people on earth. Do you know that? We have more freedom than everybody. Everybody else combined. Because for freedom, Christ has set us free. This is the opposite. This this faith component is the opposite of what's going on in this passage. And when you really look at it, if you think about it, uh, there in Second Corinthians chapter 5, we, we walk by faith and not by sight. But what happens here? They're listening to this well-crafted story, this incredible, wonderful piece of, well, you know, look at them. They were walking by sight, right? They're looking at these guys' ragged clothes. They check out their moldy bread. They look at the wineskins and go, that must be true. If they had stopped for two seconds to ask of God, what they would have got was, maybe you might want to go check that settlement that you can see on the horizon, because you're going to find their brothers and sisters over there. Maybe there would have been somebody in the congregation, oh, those are Gibeonites, they're from Gibeon, it's right over there. You can see it. When the sun goes down, look on the horizon right there, you can see it. They didn't give God time to work. They were walking by sight and not by faith. Now, let's just be honest. We all hate waiting. Amen? 
If you don't hate waiting, I'll give you some of my hate waiting and you can have it. It's just be my gift to you. But it is, in fact, waiting that enables us to hear from God. Because I can come up with an answer for almost anything every day. Seriously. Somebody comes to me with something, I can probably figure out something to do about what they're talking about. But as I've gotten older, I've, I've told an awful lot of people, you know, you just need to go home and pray. Here's what God's word says about the situation. I know this much. I can tell you this much because I know what this says. But these specific details, you need to go listen to God. Hear what he says. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Now, does this mean that we turn off our brains? Heavens, no. Heavens, no. God does not want you one around, yes, Lord, I am your robot, you know, kind of doing the robo thing. God doesn't want you to do that. But God does want you to listen and wait. And if you haven't heard him speak clearly, wait a little more. It's not going to hurt you to not buy that car or not buy that house. Very rarely will you get yourself into trouble by not doing something that you're unsure of. But very often you'll get yourself into trouble by doing something you're not sure of. So wait and be sure. If you're not sure, wait a little longer. Inquire of God. John 7:17. Any of you, the living Bible says, determines to know and to do God's will, then you certainly shall know it. I love that. God wants you to know what he wants for you. The trick is he may not tell you exactly when you want to know it. It may take you a while to hear it. Many of us that have walked with the Lord, I can tell you, we've, we've waited longer than we thought we'd have to wait. I found out in my own life that's because I'm a knucklehead. And I don't really listen all that well sometimes. Now, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 passage that you should all know by heart. Amen. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will guide and direct your path. Notice the middle of it. Don't lean on your own understanding. What did Joshua do? He leaned on his own understanding. He just simply looked at the robe. He looked at the bread, looked at the wineskin, smelled the odor coming from it. got to be from a far country. We can make a covenant with him. Very bad thing to do. When God sees humility in his kids, he honors that humility. He's not going to beat you up over the things that you need to know, because he wants you to know them. He may take a little more time getting it to you. You see, if you think about it, we can all be pretty blind at times. The Gibeonites weren't even that good at lying. Do you see what being impetuous can do for you? The enemy doesn't even have to be good at what he does if you're bent on doing your things your way. It, it, I cannot tell you how many times I've watched people in a situation in their life where there's a fairly clear direction that God would have them go. Very often in marriage counseling this comes up. There's a very clear direction that God has actually spoken in his word that we ought to be going. 
And because of a lack of humility, a lack of trust, a lack of prayer, they will turn their back on the actual revealed truth of what God's word says and begin to go a different direction. That's what we call being impetuous. It's failing to wait on God and not believing God for what he says. And it it spells disaster for us. It brings us heartache and pain. If you think about it, real ambassadors would have thrown out moldy bread. Amen? If I were representing, can you imagine, well, our Secretary of State, I can imagine him doing anything, but can you imagine our, our Secretary of State actually going to some state function where he's representing the United States of America and they, they pull out some TV dinners and slap them on, you know, they're still in the aluminum tray and they throw, no, they don't have aluminum with their paper now. They're not even aluminum anymore. That shows you how old I am. They used to be aluminum or aluminium, for those of you that can't say aluminum. You slap a TV dinner in front of the guy, you know, and, and though I'm not suggesting any of you should drink wine, but if, if you pull out the wine in a box thing, you know, it's kind of like, what would you like? And you plastic a little plastic thing on the edge of it and throw that down in front of them. Well, we're the ambassadors of this great kingdom from far away, and we bring you Swanson's TV dinner. And enjoy the wine of the month, gallon five ninety nine. You know, it, it, you get the picture. They were kind of, they weren't even great liars. And yet, here's Joshua. Okay, sure. They would make their best impression. They would have pulled out the very best of what they had. They would have been able to be honest and truthful and open. They would have said, look, our kingdom is great. and we're, we're hundreds of miles away from you. Let us show you how good we are and how great and how gracious a host we are. And we want to make friends with you. And here's the best that we have. Not Here's our moldy bread, our nasty wineskins. And oh, by the way, these clothes were, they were good a couple of years ago, but not so good now. If they had even paused for a moment to pray and think, they would not have acted hastily. Don't fall for Satan's lies. Know your enemy. He's a deceiver. He wants to destroy. And he will lie to you. He'll tell you things that aren't true. You need to believe the Lord. You need to walk by faith and not by sight. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thanks for this evening and Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, just helps us to understand the world that we're in and how it's purpose to, to give us problems. And so, Lord, we ask for wisdom. Lord, your word declares that if any of us need it, if we ask of you, you'll give it with liberality. You'll pour it out on us. And so, Lord, grant us wisdom. Help us to see the traps that the enemy has set. Help us to be wise. Help us to wait on you. Help us to pray more and Think less. Lord, we bless you. We thank you for the power that we have in you. Lord, no weapon fashioned against us can prosper. But there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you for those promises that we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. That the battle belongs to you. So, Lord, we just simply commit ourselves to you. Help help us to, to walk in your ways, Lord, the rest of this week. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.